Throw me the ball and watch what I do with it. You are now tuned into the Cherry Picking Podcast with your host, Andre Cherry. Hey everyone, thank you for downloading another very special episode of the Cherry Picking Podcast. I'm your host, Andre Cherry, and on this week's episode, we will dive right into week 16 action. We'll recap my Power 5 locks of the week 16, which concludes most of the conference's regular season. Now we're heading into the postseason where we'll have the college football playoffs, we'll have the bowl games, uh, or at least the ones that haven't been canceled already. So let's just go ahead, dive right in, we'll recap Week 16 action, and then we'll get into some topics, including uh, hire at the University of Illinois. We'll also talk about the Rose Bowl moving to Texas and a few other topics along the way. So we'll go ahead and get started. In week 16 in the ACC for my Power 5 lock, I had Notre Dame over Clemson. This was uh, a chaos pick. Notre Dame had beaten Clemson earlier in the season, and so I was just trying to do something crazy. Because it would have been cool to see a shakeup of the college football playoff rankings had Notre Dame beaten Clemson. Even though Notre Dame was ranked ahead of Clemson in the AP poll, I believe Notre Dame was number two. Clemson came into this matchup number four. Clemson got the victory 34-10 to over Notre Dame. Clemson's defense was in full effect during this ACC championship matchup. In this game, the Tigers held Ian Book out of the end zone. So he didn't have any passing touchdowns. He didn't have any rushing touchdowns. For the first time this entire season, Ian Book was held out of the end zone. The Irish rushing game was also pretty non-existent. They were held to only 44 yards in this game. If you can believe it or not, the entire season, the Irish averaged 235 yards rushing per game. So that's insane. So hats off to the Clemson defense for doing the damn thing this week. Many folks thought that there would be a different outcome for Clemson, uh, considering that their stud quarterback Trevor Lawrence was out in the first matchup because of COVID, but he was back and healthy in this matchup. But really, if you look at the problem for that first matchup, it wasn't the offense because this game went to, I think, double overtime. Clemson had scored 40 points in that first loss. The issue truly was the defense, and the defense corrected those mistakes. They played at a very high level in this matchup. And so this team looks legit in this matchup in the ACC championship game. The Clemson defense stepped up like gangbusters. The Tigers had six total sacks and 10 tackle for losses. So again, the defense was big in this victory over Notre Dame. On offense, quarterback Trevor Lawrence, he went 25 for 36 for 322 yards through the air, two touchdowns and one interception. His favorite target of the day was wide receiver Amari Rodgers, who caught eight balls for 121 yards with one touchdown. Running back Travis Etienne, he hit 124 yards rushing on 10 carries with one touchdown. So the offense is looking really good as well. And Trevor Lawrence, he was the MVP of the game. And he said afterwards, and I quote, all we had to do was take care of business after that. Lawrence said about the loss in South Bend, We remember fans running off the field and getting into our face. You remember those images and keep those things in your head. End quote. 
And I'm sure you do. I mean, that's a huge COVID risk. I would keep that in, in the back of my memory. That would be replaying in my head. The fact that all these all these fans rushed the field. You just lost to Notre Dame on the road. You got these fans screaming COVID and, and coughing COVID in your face. Like I would be, I'd be terrified of that as well. That would be stuck in my memory. But um, in all seriousness, you know that's a. That's what their focus was after that loss, that they wanted to take care of business, as Trevor just said. And they took care of business. I mean, Clemson has won all nine games Trevor Lawrence has started in this season by at least 18 points, and their average margin of victory in those games is 33.6 points. So Trevor Lawrence, when he plays in the game, even though he wasn't the reason why they lost the first matchup, there's a, a mental factor of knowing that your best player for Clemson is is suited up, he's playing with you, and that just gives that team an edge. And so having that guy in your backfield as your quarterback, I mean, he, tremendous job his entire college career. I mean, it presumably is going to end at the end of this season. He'll be the number one draft pick, many people think. So this guy has done so much for this program. And they are in a good spot heading into the college football playoff decision here. I'm watching it right now as I'm recording this episode. It's on ESPN. They're talking about the playoff teams that will be revealed. Clemson will certainly be one of those teams that will make the playoff. And Dabo Sweeney, after the game, he had a quote. He called Lawrence the best player in the country. And I quote, it would be a crying shame if the Heisman didn't attach their name to Trevor Lawrence. I know that has become a stat award, but if you watch and you don't know this, is the best player in the country, I don't know what you're looking at, end quote. So we'll see if uh, Trevor Lawrence did enough this season to earn himself a Heisman Trophy. He's certainly going to have some tough competition because there are a few quarterbacks in the SEC that are deserving of that honor as well. So it'll be really interesting to see how it all shakes out. But in the ACC, I get a victory there. or I'm sorry, in the ACC, I get a loss there. Uh, Clemson over Notre Dame. In the Big Ten, I had Ohio State over Northwestern. Chicago's Big Ten team, Northwestern. Ohio State got the victory 22-10. This game was a slow start for the Buckeyes, who were without at least two dozen players for the second straight week. The player of the game was Ohio State running back and former Sooners standout Trey Sermon, who rushed for 331 yards on 29 carries with two touchdowns. He earned game MVP for his effort, and the 331 yards eclipsed Eddie George's single-game school rush record and the Big Ten championship game mark. So this guy is just crushing records left and right. And if you recall, Eddie George, who was a Ohio State great, he set the mark against Illinois about 25 years ago by rushing for 314 yards in a game. I mean, that's video game-like stats. 314 yards, I do that or I did do that when I played NCAA football back in the day, you know? But that's insane. And so Trey Sermon, he transfers in this season. He's, I mean, 331 yards in a a championship game. That's insane. That's crazy. Northwestern, Chicago's Big Ten team, Northwestern, was leading this matchup well into the third quarter before Ohio State took the lead. The Wildcats certainly stepped up, and I was hoping that they'd have enough oomph to beat Ohio State. I mean, shout out to them for bringing that effort and for keeping it close for much of the game, for for about three quarters of the game. 
I mean, they were in the driver's seat. But unfortunately, they didn't have enough to beat Ohio State. It, it wasn't meant to be. But I do give a lot of credit to Coach Pat Fitzgerald and this team for coming back in such a strong way after their disappointing season in 2019. I truly am looking forward to seeing what Fitzgerald's team will accomplish in 2021. Because I think his name is going to get a lot of, uh, a lot of pub as we head into the offseason here. You know, teams that may want to tap him or tap his services to be their head coach on the college level and, and in the NFL. We'll probably hear his name talked about, but I don't think Pat Fitzgerald is going anywhere. I think he's staying there, and and I, I don't blame him. He has outperformed all expectations for what I thought and what many people thought a coach at Northwestern could do. And I, I just don't think you leave that program, great facilities, a great culture. I think Pat Fitzgerald is probably staying in Evanston for quite some time. But I could be wrong. We'll see what happens, but I, I think he's staying there. So I get the victory out of the Big Ten this week. In the Big 12, I get a loss. I had Iowa State over Oklahoma. Unfortunately, the Sooners clipped the Cyclones by a score of 27-21. to 21. I really was hoping that ISU would have won this game. They've, they have done a remarkable job these past few seasons leading up to this point. And if you can believe it or not, they were down 24-7 to in this game at the end of the first half. But the Cyclones came back in the second half, outscoring the Sooners 14-3. In the waning seconds of the game, Brock Purdy hauled off a deep Hail Mary pass that was picked off by the Sooners just outside the end zone. So Purdy ended the game with 322 yards passing with only one touchdown and three interceptions. With the victory, the Sooners won its sixth Big 12 title in a row. So certainly not the season that the Sooners would have hoped for in terms of being competitive and and making it to the playoffs. They, they stumbled a bit, but I think their future is bright, and I think they're going to get only more experience and so I think next season, you know, they will be a team out of the Big 12 that we got to keep our eyes on because they will be a team that will be vying for the championship crown yet again. I'm, I'm sure of that. So I, I get the loss there. Iowa State losing to Oklahoma. In the SEC, I had Texas A&M over Tennessee. A&M made slight work over Tennessee this weekend to improve their record to 8-1 and overall. They got the victory 34-13. to And after that game, uh, Texas A&M head coach Jimbo Fisher, he said, and I quote, I haven't lobbied or said a word up until now. We lost to the number one team in the country, which was Alabama. Then we won seven straight games in a row. We can play with anybody. We play in the best league in ball. Some teams aren't even playing seven games. They're supposed to pick the best four, end quote. Jimbo Fisher was really making his case for why Texas A&M should be included in the college football playoff discussion. He also said, and I, I quote, we play in the best league with the best players. That's as much of an eye test as anything. Eight wins in the SEC. I'd like to see someone else do that. End quote. I mean, Jimbo Fisher's not wrong. They had a, a little bit of a slow start to their season. I, I didn't think they would be a team that would be in this position today. They suffered a loss to Alabama. Many teams have. But if you look at their resume, I mean, number five, Texas A&M, they certainly are deserving of a shot, I would say. I would have them in. in my If I had playoff uh, prediction or playoff ranking, Texas A&M would definitely be one of those teams that I would choose. So 
I get the victory there out of the SEC, Texas A&M over Tennessee. And then I also had another prediction. I had Bama over Florida. And actually, right before we get into my last Power 5 prediction, I do want to unveil the top teams in the final college football playoff standings. So we have Alabama, number one. That's no surprise. And then we have at number two, Clemson. Clemson played very well, very solid victory against Notre Dame just this past uh, weekend. Then at number three, we have Ohio State at 6-0. and So Clemson and Ohio State will meet again this upcoming college football playoff. And I honestly, first blush prediction, I think Clemson will make slight work over Ohio State. I truly do. I don't think Ohio State is going to upset Clemson. I think Clemson is just too powerful. They're too strong, too well coached. They're just clicking at the right time. And I don't think Ohio State has enough to beat Clemson this year. Uh, Ohio State was a much better team last season. They lost a lot of top players, a lot of top studs, such as J.K. Dobbins, uh, who's in the league now. I just, first blush prediction, I think Clemson beats Ohio State yet again. Uh, So now we'll get back to the regularly scheduled programming. I'm waiting on number four to be released by ESPN. watching the show right now. As soon as we have the number four team, the top four team in the playoff, I will circle back with y'all. But in the SEC, my final uh, lock of the week, I had Alabama over Florida. Oh, okay. And a little bit of late breaking news. Notre Dame made it to the number four spot in the college football playoffs. So we have Notre Dame at 10 and one will face Alabama, number one Alabama in the college football playoffs. So that's crazy. We have our top four announced here, Alabama at one, Clemson at two, Notre Dame at four, Ohio State at three. So very interesting. And uh, I think ultimately it'll be Alabama and Clemson to face off in the championship game, but we'll, uh, we'll let it all ride out. So there we have it, folks, the top four college football playoff teams, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Notre Dame. So let me just finish up here real quick. My top five lock out of the SEC, Alabama over Florida. Heading into this matchup, I thought Florida might get embarrassed against Bama considering how the Gators lost last weekend to LSU. But surprisingly, despite the loss, the Gators brought a hard-nosed effort in this game and kept the final score within six points. The Gators would have made a very interesting case for the playoffs had they won last weekend. We won't play the coulda, shoulda, wouldas here because it is what it is. In this matchup though, these two quarterbacks had a day. Gators quarterback Kyle Trask has been playing at a high level all season. In this game, he threw for 408 yards with three touchdowns. Bama's quarterback, Mac Jones, he went 33 for 43 for 418 yards with five touchdowns and one interception. His favorite target was wide receiver Devonta Smith, who caught 15 of those passes for 184 yards and two touchdowns. And running back Najee Harris carried the ball 31 times for a total of 178 yards and two touchdowns. Harris would account for five total touchdowns on the day. And the Bama defense had one hell of an effort as well. They had five sacks and seven tackle for losses. Najee Harris set an SEC championship game record with his five touchdowns which broke the mark of four scored by Auburn's Trey Mason in 2013. Harris also knocked off a couple of school records, which set a new standard for career rushing touchdowns at 44 
and overall touchdowns at 54. So Harris played uh, extremely well in this pivotal SEC championship matchup game. Bama gets a victory 52-46. to Again, hats off to Florida for making it close. I didn't think that it would be coming into this matchup, but they played very well. And again, had they won last weekend, we may be having a different conversation today about do they deserve to be in the playoffs. So that actually wraps up my Power 5 predictions. I went 3-2 and two this week. Overall, my record was 55-14 and 14 when making these straight-up predictions. So I'm looking forward to the bowl season. I always enjoy picking games and just having fun with college football bowls. So we'll see what uh what what happens here we'll see how the matchups shake out but that was my week 16 power five predictions after this short break we will get into some other topics including the rose bowl moving to texas my college football predictions for who i would have picked to make it to the playoffs and then we'll also talk about a few other topics along the way but don't go anywhere i'll be right back What's going on? It's Casey Callan, host of the Characters of Boxing and Beyond podcast. I'm here in beautiful Charm City, and I just want to remind you about a new book from Clear Contender Media. It's called How They Got Their Billions. We're exploring the business stories of pro football's 32 NFL owners. Every NFL team is worth well over a billion dollars these days. Some NFL owners amass their fortune through inherited wealth, oil exploration, but other stories are more far-fetched than fiction. So this new book, How They Got Their Billions, by me, kind of exploring the different path that all of today's 32 NFL owners took to acquire their fortune and team. So definitely check this book out. It's available right now clearcontender.com slash books or you can find it on Amazon and uh, have a good one everyone want to know what life is really like after the game is all over real athletes are here to share their true stories of adversity and triumph every week on after orange slices even if you don't like sports pro athletes former college stars celebrities coaches public speakers doctors and all kinds of experts join the show and there's a little bit of something for everybody Join me, Bridget, for a slice of inspiration, plus your everyday sports news sprinkled in. New episodes every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, available anywhere you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. On this side of the break, I'm going to just go ahead and dive right in, and I'm going to tell you the teams that I would have predicted or the teams I would have picked to make it to the college football playoffs. So at number one, I would have had Alabama, no questions there. At number two, I'd have Clemson. And then at number three, I'd have Notre Dame. And at number four, I would have Texas A&M. So those would have been the four teams I would have picked for my playoffs. I think Ohio State is good. I don't know if that if they're one of the top four teams necessarily. I probably would have had them outside looking in, maybe at like five or six. I also would have had Cincinnati in that discussion too. I would have had them in the top six. But... As it stands, that's that's what my predictions or my selections would have been, if I were if I had the power to make the choices or the selections for the playoffs. Cincinnati they went nine and zero this season. They played, uh, they looked well, like they played extremely well on the schedule that it had this season. Certainly, the American wasn't as strong as we've seen it in years past, but 
don't minimize what Luke Fickle is doing for that program. Cincinnati has been playing very well. Luke Fickle is probably a name that you're going to hear get tossed around for the head coaching jobs. I know he turned down the Michigan State job last year to remain at Cincinnati, but at some point here, fairly soon, Fickle's going to hit the ceiling at Cincinnati, and he's a tr- you know tremendous coach, and he certainly deserves all the, the recognition. But as we've seen, these playoff committees don't favor American teams or teams that are not in the Power Five. As it stands, Texas A&M is number five on the current playoff selection standings. Oklahoma is number six. Oklahoma went eight and two this season. The Big 12 really wasn't much of a strong consideration for the playoffs. I mean, had Iowa State beaten Oklahoma, maybe that would have had them up towards the top or would have had them at the number six spot. But you got to start looking at some of these non-Power 5 teams. Cincinnati made made a case to be included, and they were left out. They weren't even in the top six. So I'm just telling you what my picks would have been. We know what the what the scene has been set, so I think we're all ready and anxious for the college football playoffs to, to officially kick off, but those would have been my selections. Next up, I want to talk about the Rose Bowl moving to Texas. I got a press release early this morning from Bill Hancock, the executive director of the college football playoff, and I'm going to read you the release that I received, and I quote, The College Football Playoff Management Committee and Tournament of Roses have mutually agreed that, given the growing number of COVID-19 cases in Southern California, the College Football Playoff semifinal game previously scheduled to be played at the Rose Bowl Stadium will now be played at AT AT&T Stadium in Dallas, Texas. The game in Dallas will still be played in the mid-afternoon window on New Year's Day. We are pleased that parents and loved ones will now be able to see their students play in the game. We are very grateful to Rose Bowl officials in the city of Pasadena. They have worked hard to listen to the concerns of the college football playoff, the teams that might have played there, and their state and government officials. The Tournament of Roses has acted in the best interests of the people who live in Southern California, and we're grateful to Cotton Bowl and AT&T Stadium officials for their ability to make this late switch possible. Add this to the list of ways 2020 has demanded flexibility and last-minute accommodation from everyone in college football. Given all the complexities and difficulties involved, this is the best outcome for everyone concerned, end quote. And that is from the college football playoff executive director, Bill Hancock. I received that early on Sunday morning. And so the decision was made to move the Rose Bowl. And I think that's a you know good decision if if you want fans and families to be in attendance at that game, you had to move it from Pasadena. And so the, the Pasadena Tournament of Roses made its first a, appeal for the special exemption for the Rose Bowl game in November, and they followed up with the second request to the state this month. Both of those requests were denied. So they tried to keep it in Pasadena. They tried to keep it, you know, keep that Rose Bowl game in California. And the requests were denied. The first Rose Bowl game was played January 1st, 1902. Such a long, long time ago. And the last time the Rose Bowl game was played outside of Pasadena, California, was 1942. The game between Oregon State and Duke was played in Durham, North Carolina. 
because the West Coast was deemed unsafe after the attacks on Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. And that source came from care11.com. That's care with a K. So that's big news for the Rose Bowl. It's going to move to Texas this year. Should be interesting to see, you know, how that game shakes out. In other news, the University of Illinois hired its new football head coach. And it's Brett Bielema, a coach that we are familiar with. If you follow Big Ten football, he was the longtime coach at Wisconsin as an assistant and as a head coach. And then he most recently was at Arkansas. I'll read you off some of his stats while he was a head coach at those programs. At Wisconsin, he was the head coach for seven years. And while at Wisconsin, he amassed 68 wins and 24 losses. And then he was the Arkansas head coach for five seasons where he went 29 and 34. And so most people would consider that to be a failure. He did go to a couple bowl games, which is, was pretty good at Arkansas. But we know the SEC is super competitive especially in that division of the SEC. I mean, he didn't inherit or he didn't accept an easy job. At the time when he made that move to go to Arkansas, they paid him all that money to go there. I personally thought it was a bad idea. You know, you have a pretty good job at Wisconsin. You're a very successful coach in the Big Ten. You had a few seasons where you had 10 plus wins there at that program. And so... For you to go out and to take an Arkansas job, that just seemed like uh, he was setting himself up for failure, which is exactly what happened there. And uh, now he's bounced around in the NFL for a few seasons, but an extremely good college football coach. He knows the Big Ten well. And so I think on paper, this is a pretty solid hire. This is my opinion. I I don't have any sort of... uh, rooting interest in the program at Illinois, but I think that's a good hire. Certainly you want somebody with coaching experience, which he has. Somebody that's won in the Big Ten, which he has. You know, this guy brings a resume that is really impressive, that most teams would love to have. Illinois was hoping for a home run hire, there were some names out there that were that have a lot of pop right now. And I think some of, if you're an Illinois fan, you were hoping that you would get a chance to grab one of those guys. But I, I think the, the reaction and the response is varied. And certainly, like I said, I'm no Illini fan. But I know the biggest Illini fan is my good friend Herb Lawrence. So why don't we bring him into the show real quick to get his thoughts on the hire. Herb, what do you think about Illinois hiring head coach Brett Bielema? Thank you. University of Illinois hires Brett Bielema as their head football coach. And how I feel about it is torn because, yes, I know that Brett Bielema ultimately is a better coach than Illinois deserves, especially the guy that won all those games up there at Wisconsin. Some might say that you had the organization and the blueprint from one of the masters and Barry Alvarez, so it was easy to coach up there at Wisconsin. Um, Yeah, I mean, and then he left that good, cushy job for an Arkansas squad that was at the bottom of the SEC West, and he went to a couple bowl games there, but ultimately failed as an Arkansas Razorback. So he's been doing NFL things with the Patriots, and this year with the Giants, I think, is their outside linebackers coach, and doing a good job with them. So uh, 
as far as X's and O's and being ready for games and being better and all the things that come with Brett Bielema, born in Illinois, went to school at Iowa, coached at Wisconsin. He knows the fertile recruiting areas right there, especially for linemen, especially for tight ends. So we'll be solid in that regard, and I think the team will be better than what the Lovey Smith era brought us. But when you have the delusions of grandeur like us Illinois fans do have, we look for the home run hire. And is it a home run hire? No. It's a hire that's fine, and, and it's it's a fine hire. And in a vacuum, the Illini did a good job. But you know way too much stuff about Brett Bielema. You know way too much stuff about other candidates out there. The Buffalo coach, the Lance Leopold guy. I was looking forward to him maybe being the head coach of the Illini and building another program up from nothing to a perennial uh, conference champion contender. But, you know, Brett Bielema will do a decent job here at University of Illinois. It's fine. That's the word I'm going to use. Brett Bielema to Illinois is fine, even though I'm having a good time on Twitter making fun of it. So this is Herb Lawrence. Thank you for having me again, Andre. So that voice you just heard was my good friend Herb Lawrence. He's an executive producer at 670 The Score. He's the biggest Illini fan that I know. He also does a great podcast with his co-host Chris Tannehill, who's also a producer at The Score, an executive producer. And so they have a, a fun show called Locked On Sox, White Sox Podcast. They just did a couple episodes with Sean Evans, the host of the YouTube sensational show Hot Ones. And so you should definitely give it a listen. But thank you, Herb, for hopping on and, and sharing your thoughts on the hire. As we heard from Herb, he thinks the hire is fine. This was taken, this was his first blush reaction as soon as the announcement was made. I asked him to hop on here to give his reaction to it. I don't know if Herb has uh, warmed up to the idea at all, but his first blush reaction was that this is a, f- a fine hire. And he gives his reasons why he feels the way he does, but if we take a closer look at the hire, this came from Bruce Feldman on Twitter. He says, big hire for Illinois, Bielema, an Illinois native who played at Iowa and led Wisconsin to three Big Ten titles, is a great fit in the Big Ten and will make things a lot more fun. He is a big, engaging presence who led the Badgers to three top ten finishes in seven years. So he's certainly a polar opposite to Lovey Smith. More personality, more outwardly personality. Uh, He'll be an engaging character in the Big Ten, I'm sure. And we'll see if this guy can build this program up. I mean, they already have great facilities. I think I saw it was like $80 million in facilities. They are going to be a destination for the right coach. So we will see if Brett Bielema is that guy and can win at Illinois and turn the program into what it, it what it hopes to be. So, well, you know, good luck to, to Brett Bielema. I do want to read a quick statement from Brett Bielema on the hire, and I quote, Illinois and the Big Ten is home for me, and I can't be any more excited about the opportunity in front of me with the fighting Illini. We want to build a program that makes Illini Nation proud and regain the passion that I've seen when Illinois wins. We want the young men playing in the state of Illinois from Freeport to Cario and from Quincy to Danville 
dreaming of wearing the orange and blue and playing at Memorial Stadium. I look forward to reconnecting with the high school coaches around the state, making it clear we intend to keep our players home. We will build an outstanding staff for both player development and recruiting. The University of Illinois has incredible facilities and is known as one of the world's outstanding academic institutions. We will hold the young men on our team responsible both on and off the field while coaching them to be champions in life. Jen and I, along with our girls, are excited to get to Champaign-Urbana and get started on the journey. Go Illini, end quote. You know, however you feel about the hire, whether you are for it or against it, you're indifferent towards it. Brett Bielema, in that statement, he wants to be here. He is excited to be back in the Big Ten, and he is going to give it everything he's got. And so you got to give him a shot, give him a chance, and let's see what this guy can do. But uh, thank you again, Herb, for supplying that soundbite. I appreciate it, my friend. Thank you very much. My last story that I want to get to is in regards to the Temple football program. I actually got a tweet that I saw online from We Give a Hoot to You, tweeted on Saturday the breaking news that Rod Carey will not be leaving Temple to coach Illinois. (laughs) That tweet gave me a chuckle, but I did wonder if Carey wanted to coach in the Big Ten or at Illinois at, at any point when he was at NIU. He certainly had an impressive record at NIU, minus the bowl record, but he came to Temple instead a program which has been on the rise for some time and has seen players drafted in the NFL for the last several seasons. In fact, Temple had a school record four players get drafted into the NFL in 2020. We had Matt Hennessy, who went to the Falcons, Harrison Hand to the Vikings, Sean Bradley, he stayed here in Philly with the Eagles, and Chappelle Russell with the Buccaneers. Uh, So with four more players getting signed on as undrafted free agents, Deion Dawkins and Tahir Whitehead, are two Owls that had the honors of being captains of their teams. Temple is the only team outside the Power 5 Conference to have multiple players drafted to the NFL in each of the past five seasons. In all, Temple has 26 current players in the NFL, the most of any school outside of the Power 5. Only 16 schools currently have more active players than Temple, as more than half of the league's 32 teams, 18, will sport some cherry and white this season. Furthermore, when adding coaches and team personnel into the equation, there are over 40 people in the NFL with ties to Temple. So that's a tremendous stat, something that you are very proud of if you are a part of the Temple program. This school is a pipeline into the NFL, and it's been that way for the last several seasons. And so what I'm about to say is just my own opinion, but I want to preface this by saying in advance, I have no connection to Temple whatsoever. I'm not affiliated with the program in any way. I didn't go to school there. And I'm not a teacher or professor at Temple. So I'm not you know, doing double duty uh, representing the school in any way by being a paid employee or by working there or even graduating from that program. I'm an outsider who loves football. The only connection I have to that school is the fact that they are only a few blocks away from my house. I don't know what's going on at that program, but there are a lot of key players who have left the program recently. Those players include linebacker Isaiah Graham Mobley. He went to Boston College. He was a former starter at Temple. He was a former two-time Temple tough guy, which is a big deal. And I'll get into that after I read these names off. But Isaiah Graham Mobley, you have defensive tackle Ifine Majay, 
who's going to Rutgers, and he will reunite with former Temple assistant Fran Brown, who now coaches the secondary up at Rutgers. I find was a former starter. He was also a former Temple tough guy. You had cornerback Linwood Crump, a former starter. Quarterback Anthony Russo, he's at Michigan State, former starter. You had running back Raymond Davis, a former starter at Temple. He's now at Vanderbilt. And, and Ray Davis, a freshman who burst onto the scene last year, he rushed for 936 yards with eight touchdowns on 193 carries. He led the team in all rushing categories and added 15 catches for 181 yards and two touchdowns. He was a 2020 Maxwell Award nominee. I mean, this guy was a beast for Temple. And the fact that he put his name in the hat to transfer away mid-season, that's a big deal. You also had offensive lineman Vincent Picozzi, kicker Will Mobley. I mean, these are starters. These are players with a lot of great experience leaving this program. A program that I just said drafts players to the NFL better than any other team in this area or in the in the group of five. I mean, this is a school that you want to come to if you want to make it to the NFL because the blueprint was here. The blueprint was here for success. These players have a, a direct window into the NFL after they they finish their time here at Temple. I mean, this is the place where you want to be. Russo was a starter for quite some time. That's a lot of experience out of your backfield that is gone with Russo leaving and Ray Davis. And then the defense, I mean, we were seeing defensive standouts get drafted from Temple. Why would Isaiah Graham Mobley leave this program? He's a, I just told you, he's a former two-time Temple tough guy. And the phrase Temple tough is synonymous with the fight and grit of Temple's football team. It was coined by a legendary Temple basketball head coach, John Chaney, who teams also were noted for their hard-nosed, lunch-pail passion by which they played. So it's a huge honor to be a Temple Tough guy, and you have a two-time Temple Tough guy, former starter, putting his name into the transfer portal to leave the program? Something just doesn't sit right with me when I hear that and when I see all these names leaving the program. And as you know, the NCAA did have a rule this season that this season in particular for 2020 won't count towards a player's eligibility, which grants players another season. So, I mean, we've seen numbers, huge numbers of players leaving programs to get another shot somewhere else. And so with this free year of eligibility, it makes sense that players would want to leave. You know, that's not, uh, not only on Temple's program, but other programs in college football. But the players that I'm mentioning are starters, players that have experience, meaningful experience in the American. That is a problem. I'm not talking about backups leaving. I'm talking about Ray Davis, Anthony Russo, Isaiah Graham Mobley. I mean, these are players that started for Temple. You want that experience, don't you? I mean, Rod Carey is in his third season, uh, heading into his third season now. And the fact that these guys are leaving now, to me it indicates that maybe there's something up or maybe they're not vibing with the message that Kerry and his staff has or they're not um, buying into the culture. But it's just uh, something that I want to call out for several reasons because, you know, this program has been a hotbed and a pipeline into the NFL and you're, you're losing players that will probably get a shot, to, if not get drafted, you know, get a chance to 
reach the NFL. And I think that's something that needs to be called out. And I can't just talk about the players leaving without mentioning the players that are coming into the program. And so I do want to call out real quick here the players that Temple was able to land in the transfer portal. So we've got Darius Pittman, who comes from Purdue. Ravon Bonner, a running back from Illinois, who rejoins wide receiver coach Thad Ward. Thad Ward was at Illinois a few seasons ago under Lovey Smith. We also have Dewan Mathis, a quarterback at Georgia, who, who transfers in. Willie Rogers from Washington State. So, you know, there, there's some big names that are coming in. And the, these guys will certainly help the staff next season. Some some good players here. You know, Ahmad Anderson uh, is transferring in. Ravon Bonner from Illinois. He played three seasons at Illinois where he rushed for 822 yards and 10 touchdowns when he played uh, last. And so, you know, we're getting some good players coming into the program. And that's something that you want to see if you're going to lose that experience. But I'm just calling out the fact that that's something you're going to want to watch closely as we move forward here under, under the Carey tenure at Temple. And it probably won't be hard for you to find players that are, you know, speak well about the program, but you probably most assuredly won't find any players that are going to speak negatively about Temple while they're on their way out. It just doesn't make sense. You don't badmouth your team or your coaches more specifically when you're leaving a program to go to another program. So you're not going to find too many instances of players badmouthing the coaching staff. You can find some comments, though, on Twitter if you if you search well enough. You can find some of those comments. But I just want to call out that sometimes you got to read between the lines of what's going on. And that's just a lot of talent leaving the door, which has me concerned. If you're a Temple fan, I would be concerned for that. Kerry enters into his third season. Uh, he just finished his second year on a six-year deal with Temple. So it's about $2 million per year. And had Illinois or any other school wanted to tap Kerry to be its head coach, they would have had to pay Temple an $8 million buyout. But I don't know that right now um, Kerry's name was being tossed out as a potential candidate for the Illinois job. Uh, I haven't seen that circulating online very much, but I was just calling out the fact that had a school wanted to choose him, such as Illinois, they would have had to pay Temple $8 million. So, again, just calling it out. Something to look out for as you move forward here in the carry era at Temple. But that's a big deal that those players have left and certainly want to call that out because I don't think it's all peaches and cream. And it, it's worth noting the players that are leaving and the experience that is walking out the door to go to the other programs because Temple has been that program that draws scouts from the NFL. And you're seeing some big names walk out the door and leave to go other programs. We'll have to see what the future holds next season at Temple. It's going to look a lot different, but Kerry's going to get his shot to run his team his way with his players. So I'm really excited to see how that shakes out. But with that, I want to sign off for this week's episode of the Cherry Picking Podcast. Hope you all have a fun and exciting and safe holiday season. I'll probably talk to you all again on the other side of 2021. So I hope you all have a safe and and fun, happy new year. And I will talk to you very, very soon. Take care, everyone. Merry Christmas.
thank you again for tuning into my Cherry Picking Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe to my show and drop me a rating on Apple Podcasts. All of my digital content can be found at the website cherrypickingsports.com. If you are looking to interact with me via social media, my Twitter handle is at cherry underscore pickin. That's P-I-C-K-I-N. On my Twitter, you'll also find a link to my blog where I post my weekly college football predictions and analysis. I can also be reached via email at cherrypickinsports at gmail.com. Please feel free to reach out to me regarding what you like about this podcast or about what content you'd like to hear more of on future episodes. I sincerely thank you for your support, and I can't wait to talk to you again soon. Take care.